Hello, welcome back to Life on Our Terms with me, Gemma Kearney. It's the podcast series with the Open University that wants to inspire all our listeners to succeed on their own terms. And across the series, we'll be talking to lots of people who've done exactly that. In our first episode, I spent some time talking about education with George the Poet. Go and check it out if you've not heard it already. But for any mavericks out there who'd like to start a series with the second episode, then let me clue you in. Every week, I'm chatting to a person in a different field about how they've achieved success, how they keep learning along the way, and what they think about education and the role it's played for them so far. As you'll hear throughout the series, we really want to champion this idea of lifelong learning. The OU are experts in providing flexible distance learning to everyone, no matter where you are or what your background is, and supporting people with achieving their ambitions in a way that works for them. This podcast is all about ripping up the rules, but my guest this week works in an industry that's a stickler for them, especially when it comes to traditional ways of running successful teams and clubs. In spite of that, he's been the driving force behind some big changes in how Brentford Football Club operates and how professionals in the game are learning to win. Today, we're talking about sport on our terms, and I'm delighted to welcome performance specialist, entrepreneur, best-selling author, and not least, co-director of football at Brentford FC, Rasmus Ankerson. Rasmus has some amazing ideas about how you can spot and nurture talent that other places don't see and how you can use data to drive decision-making. And it's that innovative thinking that's making Brentford a club to be reckoned with. I can't wait for you to hear about the way he's transforming how learning is achieved in sport. Hello, Rasmus. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us. Are you ready for me to pick your brains? I'm definitely ready. Let's go. (laughs) Uh, for our listeners that don't already know you, can you tell us a little bit about you? Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm originally from Denmark, but I, I, I lived in London for the past 10 years. Um, the majority of my time today, I, sp- I, I spent running running two football clubs, um, a club in Denmark with a name no one can pronounce. It's called FC Midtjylland. It's my childhood football club. And, uh, and then um, Brentford Football Club in uh, West London. What exactly does a director of football do? So uh, my my role is I'm a cham- I'm the chairman of uh, the Danish club and then a co-director of football. So I share the role with someone else uh, at Brentford. But really, there's not much difference to the two roles. I mean, I overlook player trading. So when we buy and sell players, um, really overlook the overall strategy of the football department. So. They're responsible for employing coaches and and staff and keeping them motivated and making sure that everyone really moves in the same direction, which is which is very, very important in football because you have a lot of noise, you have a lot of opinions, you have a lot of you know pressure from the outside. So it's really important to be able to protect uh, the processes within within the club and keep the noise out. Agility must be so important in your role. If there's a bad run of games, then I'm guessing you have to change things up completely. How do you do that technically or in terms of strategy? What changes within the job? I think actually many times in football, the trick is not to change. The trick is to do nothing. The, the, the hardest thing is to sometimes do nothing when you have, have a, a bad run of results. But that's often the right strategy because 
everyone else wants you to change. And the problem football clubs often have is that they are zigzagging too much. You know, they overreact to a bad runner results, sack the coach or get rid of players, buy new players, you know, whereas sometimes you really just got to, you know, stick to the plan and trust that over time uh, the results will come. What, what people don't often understand in football is that there is a very random game. There's so much randomness in football and that has to do with the fact that there's not a lot of goals in football. So the average number of goals in a football game is 2.8. The average number of goals in a basketball game is more than 100. So the fewer goals there is in a sport, the more impact random events have. And with random events, I mean like a ball getting deflected, spins into the net, or the referee making a wrong call in the last minute of the game, things like that. So, so the best team wins less often in football than in a high-scoring sport like basketball. And what, what we believe a lot in, in the clubs I held run, is to have, rather than you know, focusing too much on the league table, you know, where are you fifth, are you sixth, are you seventh, are you 13th? You know, we, we try and look at some underlying data that we think is more solid in terms of telling us where we're actually going. As long as that data looks good, we know that sometimes we lose, sometimes we win. But if we keep focusing on the right numbers, then eventually things will come good in the end. When did you first become interested in data? I, well, I hated mathematics when I was in school. You know, it was there, I, I wasn't particularly good at it. And, uh, and I, I, don't, I also don't think I, I believe so much in it. But, but, but if I have to mention one like game changer for me, obviously, it, I think it was when I met Matthew Benham, who owned Brentford. You know, I, I, I met him and he kind of convinced me about the use of data and he made me, me, me see the game in a completely different way through the lens of, of data. How do you collect it? How do you find this data and collate it? So we, we typically buy data. So there, there is a, what's happened in football is that data has become a bit of a commodity over the, over the past few years. So lots of companies collect data and sell the data. Uh, what, what, what I think it, for me is not so much about the data, really. It's more about the questions you ask to the data. You know, the, the, the quality of the questions are really important because what you've seen in football, for example, over the past 10 years is that a lot of people have come in like, like, like sports scientists, data analytics guys, you know, and they answer a lot of questions with data. But sometimes the problem is no one has asked the questions. And answering question no one has asked, I think is a common problem in other industries too. Uh, because, you know, what do you want to know? You know, what, what, what is it that if you knew this, if you had the answer to this question, that would change your decision making, that would make the needle move. It, it, that's why you have to start with the question, not with the data. Do you apply it to your personal life? Data? Mm. I don't, I don't, it's not like I collect personal data and, uh, <laughs> and uh, use it to make, to optimize my own decision making in my personal <laughs> life. But I'm often like that, what I've learned about having, you know, statistical principles for making decisions, you know, that I do in my professional life on most days, you know, a lot of that, I think you can't, you can't take into your, 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 your personal life, you know, when you, when you make decisions, you know, understanding what parts of, of, of life is quite random, you know, how do you deal with that? Um, rather than data, I think it's more just a way of, way of thinking about solving problems. Um, maybe unconsciously, yeah, probably, probably brought that into my personal life too. Mm -hmm. And you do have to convince, I guess, 
people who are perhaps stuck in a certain system or maybe used to something more traditional. How does that go down when you come in with something completely innovative in terms of thinking uh, about how to be in the in the world of football in a new way? You always have resistance when when you want to change, and uh, a lot a lot of that is about communication, I think, and being able to convince people that where we are going is better than where we came from. There's a term psychologists have, which means that you know I think innovators need to be disagreeable. You know, if you're, if you're too dependent on social acceptance or, uh, you know, social proof before you do something, then you're never going to move first. Um, so it's about giving people the confidence, but also giving them the, the, the freedom to make the mistakes that are necessary when they go down this path. What does ambition mean to you? And how do you succeed on your own terms? I think ambition is... Um, it's very important to me in the sense that, you know, this is kind of your fuel, isn't it? Like you, you, you know, if you want to do something that hasn't been done before, if you want to challenge conventions and what we what we've been trying to do within 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 the football clubs, you know, you you need a lot of ambitions. You need a lot of fuel because it's a bumpy road, right? You know, it's so so am, ambition is is really important, and I think your your point about succeeding on your own terms is important because your definition of success you shouldn't you know delegate that i think to anyone else it's uh you know i never really had an ambition about being a director of football in a massive club or something like that in in football you know i've, I've not thought about my ambition in that sense I've, i i thought more about my ambition in the sense of being able to challenge something and show that something could be done that hadn't been done before and, and create two organizations that really, you know, were punching above their weight, you know, outperforming their own resources in, in, in the sense that, you know, because we had a strategy that was different than the, than, than, than the competitors. How do you identify and develop new talent when it comes to young players? Must be key in what you do. So we are in like probably the ultimate people business, you know, because... Our product is 11 guys going on the pitch, you know, and trying to score more goals than the opposition. So we need to be very good at building teams and identifying talent, you know. And for, for me, one of, one of the really key things is to understand with talent that great talent is not necessarily right talent. So, so there's a lot of great talent out there, but what is the right talent for us? Where does it fit into our team structure, you know, what's the profile we look for. And that's why we do it. We, we do, we put a lot of effort into describing what talent look like, what's the player we want. And then we try and go out and find exactly what we're looking for. And does data come into that as well? Yeah. I mean, the data is, data is, is always part of when we recruit new talent, new, new players. Um, sometimes data helps us flag of a player we were not aware of. Sometimes data is more a due diligence measure at the end of the process. It very much depends. Um, but, but, but data is very helpful because one, one big thing for us is, well, is, is, is it, you know, sample size. So, so when you, when you watch a player, you want to watch that player as many times as possible. So you can see him on good days, on bad days. And, and, and you have a, a you know, a, a large 
uh, amount of evidence you can take your your decision based on. The problem is if we're going to go out and watch all these games, it's very time consuming, it's resource consuming for people to travel to stadiums, watch games. What data does is that data really can give you a summary of a player's performance over a larger sample, say 50 games. That's very important. One one thing that that we we used a lot um, is 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 what we call wisdom of which wisdom of the crowds. So when we look at a player, we 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 spend a lot of time actually speaking to the fans of the club where that player plays. We look at the fan forums online to get information on how because we, our philosophy is if if two thousand fans have seen this player fifty times each, and there is a a pattern in what they describe, that's very valuable information. And that's also about creating a bigger sample to get you information from. Um, do you try and prepare the players for a more rounded future? Do you encourage them to have a plan B? Yeah, I think a good talent environment should always have different exits opportunities. So when we develop players, um, you know, it's only a small proportion of them that actually become professional footballers, but but that should not be the only exit from the environment. And that and I think that's why all talent develops have a big responsibility to make sure that you you develop not only football players, but you you develop uh, good good people as well and robust people, resilient people who can go out and do well uh, in in other parts of life or maybe within the within the football industry. So that's a very important thing. Unfortunately, I mean, I mean, football players, because you start training a lot earlier and earlier and you make that full-blown commitment to become a football player earlier and earlier, the risk is that it becomes too one-dimensional and, and risky for, for, for players because if it doesn't go well, you know, what, 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 what are they left with? What's their plan B? So, for example, in Denmark, with Midtjylland, where we, where we have an academy and we do a lot of, our work trying to insist on on players keeping a foot in, within the education system, um, you know, for for a lot longer than than it happens elsewhere, because we think that's important. Not only because they need a plan B, but B, but also because uh, I think that actually makes them better footballers. You know, I think well-rounded people can actually ultimately become become better better footballers too. I don't I don't believe in that. Like really. You know, there's only one thing in your life, and 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 that's football, and that makes you better. I'm not, I'm not so sure about that. How do you keep learning alongside your career? Well, I try to learn from other industries, and and I don't take many courses that are football related, because I don't want to be. My personal experience is that some of the best ideas I've had have come from outside football. I'm a big believer in in looking into cross-industry uh, insights and um, and try and, you know, some of the problems that, let's say, for example, come to identifying talent, as we spoke about previously in our chat. That's an, a, a challenge that companies in many, many industries have. But how, how do they go about uh, solving that challenge in the pharmaceutical industry, for example? I, I think that's really interesting. And I think there's a lot probably football can learn from that. So I'm I'm a big believer in, you know, looking outside your industry for those insights. And I, I spend a lot of time reading books, you know, speaking to people um, uh, out, outside my, my comfort zone, really, to try and understand how they, are, how, how they on a conceptual level are trying to solve 
similar problems to the ones I, I have. You know, the access to information, the access to knowledge, the access to some of the best brains on certain topics has become so much, so much easier. And I, I think that's a real game changer in, uh, in, in education. So you said that you're a fan of online courses. What do you think about the Open University? Yeah, I'm a big fan of uh, online education. And I, I, I think it has opened so many opportunities for, for people in terms of getting access to the, uh, you know, um, great content, new knowledge, new information. You know, you know think about how, how, how amazing it is that, that you know, you, you're just a, a few clicks away from, you know, interacting and, and listening to some of the, you know, brightest brains on, on, on certain topics and in certain industries. I think that's been a real game changer. And uh, I'm a big fan of all these kind of, um, you know, online mechanisms that can give people from all walks of lives and to access to something that, that can pique their curiosity and, uh, and also give them opportunities in life. Thank you so much, Rasmus. It's been a brilliant, interesting brain pick and I am inspired. Thank you. It's been great to, it's great to talk to you. Thank you very much. As we just heard from Rasmus, it's possible to turn established ways of thinking on their head and see a huge success as a result. And that's something that can apply in all sorts of ways, including when it comes to balancing careers and education. The Open University is a pioneer in that kind of flexible learning. And with that in mind, my next guest is a perfect example of doing things their own way. Bobby Burns is currently in the third year of his degree with the OU. He's studying part-time because he's also playing professional football alongside studying. I caught up with him to talk about keeping your options open, looking beyond one career and finding a balance. Hi, Bobby. How are you? Yeah, all good. Enjoying the, the lockdown fun at the moment and just trying to keep busy and positive. So you're just over halfway through your degree and you're playing football at the same time. How do you find moving between two quite different disciplines? Yeah, it is quite different, as you say, but I actually really enjoy it. You're going from sort of uh, two totally different groups of people and I love the sporting world and it's great crack and enjoyment, but I also sort of like being able to have sort of really intellectual mass conversations and business and sort of speaking to people about different interests. And it's interesting just to sort of challenge yourself in a different way, you know, sort of intellectually rather than physically. And um, it's just something that I've always really wanted to do because I think it gives you a great backup plan for after football, but it takes real self-discipline to tell the rest of the lads in the team that you don't want to go for that golf round or go and play Xbox with them to, because you want to sit down and do a maths exam. But it's uh, it's all worth it in the end. What are you studying? So I was studying um, business management with sport and football, but I've actually changed last year to an open degree um, in science, technology, engineering and maths. So I'm really enjoying it. Um, there's so much even within that de- marketing, you know, uh, and business is all part of it too. So it's sort of the open degree gives you a lot more flexibility that you can go down lots of different routes and, and really explore what, what suits you best. And how do you fit in travel for games? as well as fitting in studying time? Sometimes it's more challenging than others, but I just think as long as I plan well in advance and, and sort of prepare properly, I've, I've plenty of time to do it because I normally train from like nine o'clock to one o'clock. So I've plenty of free time afterwards. It's just about not leaving at the, you know, busy weekends where there's matches. So trying to make sure I do my work at the start of the week and 
and uh, get it done. But a lot of there's actually quite a few players you'd be surprised how you do open university degree, and actually the travel is sometimes a good period to do it. So you'll see on big bus rides there'll be some lads playing games on their phones, and others will be watching things on Netflix. But there's there's always quite a few at the back of the bus with uh, a laptop and a book out. So that's amazing. Um, it's it's sometimes I, you have to just squeeze in the time and be disciplined, I suppose. Is it what you expected, and have there been surprises? Yeah, there's been lots of surprises. I, to be honest, I had never heard of the Open University. Um, so I was playing. I was from from Belfast. And I was playing for a club in Belfast with the football, but it was more part time. So I finished my A levels, and I had looked at different universities uh, down south in England and even in America um, that I could have gone to. And it wasn't until um, I then signed for the football club I did in Scotland that. Uh, I then realised I couldn't do a conventional university degree because I didn't, you know, I didn't have the time and I couldn't go to lectures between nine and one. So one of the players in the team was actually doing an open university degree. Um, so um, it was quite funny because he then uh, recommended it to me and told me all about the open university and I sort of just thought I'd give it a go. And how does something like this fit in with your long-term ambitions? Because it's quite varied. I think getting an undergraduate degree would be great for me and, and then maybe looking at more specific master's degrees, but also looking at maybe working within sport and having the balance because sport's becoming such a business that doing sort of a degree that's surrounded by sort of business and maths would actually suit well and something that I could maybe tap into and maybe look at, you know, director of football jobs and sport or more in the football administration. So I'm not really sure uh, yet, but as I say, it's quite an open degree. So I just know it's probably on the right path, but I just don't know where it's exactly taken me yet. Would you recommend that as a way of thinking in terms of perhaps complementing something that you already do with something that on paper seems a little bit outside of the box? Yeah. And seeing whether you can somehow combine it. For example, football and business, you said you can see how there are parallels and how that can be a route to something more specific. Yeah, definitely. Like people probably outside of sport don't realize how much of a business it really is and how the clubs have to be run sustainably and all that. And it's something that really interests me seeing the balance of it, but also, you know, people probably don't realize other, there's so many avenues of sport from the media to the operations, to marketing and like, you know, the business side of it, that the, the big football clubs are com- complete businesses and it, it's something that would probably would interest me, but a lot of jobs are being created now, you know, as the, as the business market grows and, um, hopefully I'll be able to find one that suits me. But whatever I do, I know I'll just try and work hard at it and hopefully progress up it. But if you find something you can enjoy, then uh, it's much easier to do well at it. It's good advice to remind anyone listening that there are always skills to be added to your passion or what you first thought might be your career. Yeah, that's it. And as I said, the football career can be brutal. Like uh, The best case scenario, your career finishes at 35, but it could well finish earlier. And then a lot of people want to try and get into coaching, but if you have, you know, your first job, you lose your first three or four matches, you could get sacked and you're not getting another one soon. So to have something different that's sort of going to give, you know, I don't have a family yet or anything, but like if you ever had a family and you want to have that security that if the football started to go or whatever, or your career was over, you have something else that you can get involved in and, and sort of provide for your family and earn money. But also probably for me, having so many options at the Open University, it's allowed me to sort of pick things that I'm, sort of good at and can enjoy and I've really enjoyed the maths and and getting back into it after after doing it at a level I mean wow who loves maths uh, it's a, a <laughs> very uh, specific number of people but that's sort of a good thing because hopefully there's it's not brilliant. that many people hunting for my jobs <laughs> tell me about your support network 
yeah, uh, my mum and dad, and they're all very, very supportive. And um, I, I should I actually, you can see on the board behind me, I put up my deadlines for each uni assignment. And uh, I should never have done that because my dad's very much shouting at me that that assignment's due in three weeks and that one's in two. And um, But they're very, very good. They're all, you know, try to help me in any way they can. And they've always sort of really encouraged me in the education. So it's great. And on a football point of view, you know, they were at every match and drove me up and down the country. So I'm very thankful to them for the opportunities that they've given me. So your mum's a teacher. What does she think about you studying at the Open University? Yeah, my mum uh, had offers to go and be a professional footballer at 16 and she was able to persuade me into doing my A-levels and then I took the leap of faith and became a professional footballer at 18. So she then was really trying to encourage me to do other educational things and we both sort of discovered the Open University. What about within the course? Have you got a support network? It's been quite good because... Uh, with a lot of open university students, we would be texting each other and remind, like there was somebody texting me today, reminding me, remember this assignment's coming up in a few weeks. So it's good to make new friends. And I've tried to encourage a lot of people into the open university and we all sort of help each other. So it's, it's good to know people that do stuff through it. How do you find your tutors? Yeah, the tutors are brilliant. I've obviously, I'm in my third year now, so this, I've had three different tutors, but they've all been brilliant. They're all very, very friendly. And um, I just recently got a double leg break playing football. So that one of the tutors was brilliant with me and he was able to give me an extension to the deadline so uh, of an assignment that was due for the rest of the class today, I think, and I have another couple of weeks, which has been brilliant, but it's they're, they're all very friendly and I think they sort of understand the position we're in and uh, it's been quite good on, on, the, on the tutorials online. They're always quite good fun and uh, they try to be quite friendly with us all. Has studying at the Open University affected how you play football at all? It's probably affected how I approach sort of professional football yeah like it, I, some footballers don't have much educational backup and I think they're under a lot of pressure to uh, sort of make their football careers work and for me it's probably taking the pressure off me a little bit that I know with like the injury I've got at the moment if I don't come back you know I do have a backup plan and that's allowed me to sort of enjoy my professional football career a little bit more but also it's uh, it probably hasn't changed my footballing ability or how I play but it's probably adjusted my outlook on my career and, and taking taking a little bit of pressure off me to know that um, I have a good backup plan sort of running alongside it. And what are the biggest changes that you've noticed within yourself since you started your qualification? Uh, yeah, probably self-discipline, something I've learned and also my uh, just my general knowledge of business, math and those sort of topic areas has really improved and, and seeing how the process has worked and I'm starting to now see what type of jobs I don't want to get and sort of... Uh, learn that way and I suppose my um my ability to use technology and reference and sort of my reading and rhetoric has definitely improved obviously um one part obviously at a level I was able to I, I probably spoke too much and wrote too much and things so it's it's definitely taught me to be concise and to sort of make my points clearer because of the the type word limits that we have to deal with and what's the one piece of advice that you would give to someone who's thinking about studying just get stuck into it there's nothing like uh, doing it you know so um i was very i was a bit skeptical at the start did i have time would i enjoy it would i be able to do the online assignments but it's very much manageable there's a lot of support with it you know i know some people say to me that they, they didn't want to go to the open university because they didn't feel they were going to get supported as well or it was all online but the show the tutors have been fantastic they email and you can call them at times there's zoom um tutorials on zoom and there's live messenger chats and tutor group forums so there's so much support out there and everybody's trying to help each other out and um yeah the the, the, the content itself is very good so it's 
it has offered me the opportunity to sort of work and do my university degree at the same time, which is I've learned so much through my football career and exploring different countries and not being tied down and actually playing football and having a really enjoyable time while um, sort of earning money and at the same time getting a uni degree. So certainly for students, it's it's a really good uh, opportunity to sort of learn and get better. Thanks, Bobby. Good luck with everything. I'm very excited for you. It feels like the world is your oyster. Thanks very much. It feels so refreshing to hear that the next generation are thinking about their futures when it comes to the bigger picture. I mean, Bobby is living his dream as a professional football player, but is also still in education. I mean, guan, Bobby. That's all from Life on Our Terms today. Next time, I'll be meeting Lavinia Stennett, the 24-year-old founder and CEO of The Black Curriculum. Lavinia's vision to create fully rounded citizens through the education of Black British history, both in and out of schools, is truly inspiring. I can't wait for you all to meet her and hear about the incredible work that she's doing. Don't miss her or anyone else for that fact. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to Life on Our Terms, a podcast with The Open University. It was presented by me, Gemma Kearney, and produced by Listen Entertainment. <laughs>